0: Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. We finish our three-week series that really is looking at the next steps for our church in 2016. We've said this has not been a vision, mountaintop-type series. It's been a strategic series. It's been a base camp series to say what... What could we look like in one year's time? And the question that we've been asking is, what if we could be a church that in one year's time has prepared to release 400 neighborhood missionaries? Now, missionary sounds like a funny word. The way we've been putting it is, what if we could be a church that releases 400 G's That's plural for Jesus's. 400 people that live, breathe, walk the character of Jesus. And we said the ways that we would do that strategically is if you just made one of three or three key steps in your life this year, from participating in ministry to providing ministry, from stepping from just being a worshipper to a worshipping witness in your world, someone who just shows the world who Jesus is. And then we get to this morning and it's that mind shift, that step from merely going to church to growing in church that's a key step to make right have you ever noticed that sometimes christians can look like they're really narky people have you ever met a really narky christian i said last week that please please if you're not a christian yet don't make a judgment about jesus christ on the basis of some christians I mean, to to not make a decision for Jesus on the basis of a bad experience with a Christian, I said, is like refusing to eat a lamb roast because you ate a dodgy kebab at some point in the past. Now, let's be real, church. There can be a few dodgy kebabs in the Christian world. A few dodgy Christians. Why is that? I think it's because some some. Mistake the Christian life for merely going to church and not growing in church. That they think that this process of becoming a Jesus, looking more and more like Jesus, will automatically happen if you just turn up. But why is it that people year after year after year, they say that they're Christian and yet are they more joyful? Is there more patience? Is there a peace about them? Why... Has that not emerged in their life? I believe it's a difference between going to church and just growing in church. So what we'll see this morning is that growth is necessary, and then we're going to look at some of the key steps for growth, regardless of the stage of the Christian life you're in. You see, growth, we see from this passage, is essential. It's necessary. And here's why it's necessary. I don't know. You know how people, they love a good rags-to-riches story? I've been watching the Jared Haynes special Friday night about his rise into the NFL. And it's a real rags-to-riches story. From Minto to San Francisco, he's earning the mega bucks, and it's been great to see his faith in God and all of that. But you know what I realised is no one ever promotes a good riches-to-riches riches story. A good riches to, I've discovered one this week. Willow Smith, the daughter of Will Smith. And she, uh, she, by the age of 16, not, at age 9, she was one of the youngest recording artists ever with that classic, whip my hair out. <laughs> you all know that, right? <laughs> Favourite song. See, some of the crew up here, they love whip my hair out. Um, and I love, I love what she said. She said, I felt like all the hard work paid off. Mostly that, like, all the hard work that I've done, like, recording, whip my hair, it's paid off. Uh, that's Willow at nine. Now, to be fair, to be fair um, she's now got a net worth of $4 million as a 16-year-old. And her parents, Will Smith's dad, he's, he's worth a heck of a lot more than that. And as much as I can laugh and chuckle about it, it's a great riches-to-riches story. We forget the riches-to-riches story because here's the thing. It's one thing to have the pedigree and the DNA for success, and she's got that right. She's got the, the DNA of two parents that are very successful actors and she's got the pedigree, she's got all the resources at her fingertips to do it but it's another thing to undertake the work. And she is a riches to riches story because she's worked hard for it. It's not like those sorts of stories that you see of other kids that have received the inheritance from the parents and then they've, it's all just been fiddled away over the years. This is a young woman who is working hard for the success that she's achieved. And that is the whole point of this passage. The whole point of this passage says, look, you, Christian, you're a Willow Smith. You have, you have all of the resources and all of the DNA to be incredibly successful. Verse 3 says, his divine power has given you everything you need to live a godly life. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he's given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. You've, you've already got the DNA and the resources. And Can't you see, is it, is it not the wrestle of the Christian to say, in light of having these resources, in light of having the very DNA of Jesus Christ in us, what do we do with our lives when we have the, the inheritance? What do we do with that? why you should grow <laughs> you should grow that's what you should do grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ why look is it not a truism that we expect the children of parents to grow up as a reflection of their parents yeah, there's an article i saw in essential baby the other day of the of, of from a from a From a daycare worker that that said, look, parents, I can tell you exactly how you parent by the way your kids act. And so when you have little kids that are there in daycare and say, oh, you better be quiet or I'll slap you around the head. The daycare worker is saying, I think I know how you parent. It's a truism that the kids are a reflection of their parents, Christians. It's truism that Christians should be a reflection of our Heavenly Father. But it will only happen if we do it Willow Smith style. If we work for it, no, some of you are thinking, yeah, what if I whip my hair out? No, work for it. But you have to work for it. Why? Uh, why? Why don't we automatically look like Jesus? I'm sure this hasn't happened to you, but have you ever been in a scenario where you've just shot your mouth off? Have you ever been in a moment with your spouse in which anger is just boiled to the surface and you've lost your cool? Have you ever been in a moment where you're driving down the road and you're full of frustration and and you, you pull your car out the side and you just fang down the side of, of someone else and cut them off? Which reminds me, David Hunter, one of our esteemed guests, said to me one time about five years ago, Sam, you weren't driving a Volvo down at DY three days ago, were you, by any chance, per se? Because I just happened to have one that had gone down the side and then cut me off. Oops. Now, here's, here's, here's the problem, you see, that's exactly what happens. I didn't expect to meet Dave in a Volvo and cut him off. I didn't know what he was watching. But here's the thing, like I've always said, your character leaks. And when you just go to church, then it's easier to hide those things of your character because you don't expect guys like Dave to be driving around DY on a Thursday morning and you can behave when you're at church, but your character leaks. And if your character leaks, then the very way that people will see that you are a witness of Christ will be from the smell of your spiritual aftershave, right? It's, it's the, your spiritual perfume. It's the atmosphere. It's the smell of Jesus on you once you have left the room. And then and only then will you be a successful witness, and yet we know that Our character leaks. And that's the difference between Christianity and religion. You see, religion says, okay, the way that you fix this is that the minute these things like anger and frustration and cutting people off pop up, you try and just behavior modify that. You try and cut it off then and there. And I can tell you the Bible never says to you, oh, just go and love people. The Bible never says, oh, you must not get angry. No, instead, the Bible says that you are supposed to be the sort of person where the character and the deeds of Jesus just naturally flow from who you are. And so can you see, if we're going to be 400 G's, then how do we get to the point where we naturally look like Jesus? And that's why it says here, verse five through to eight. For this very reason, make every effort to add your faith, goodness, and the goodness, knowledge, and the knowledge, self-control, and the self-control, perseverance, and the perseverance, godliness. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does that look like? That looks like behaviour modification. Oh, add this stuff, and you'll be a good Christian. No, it says for this reason. What's the reason? You're Willow Smith. You have the DNA and you have the resources to live out the godly life that God has given you. So, in light of that, begin to grow up. And it shows that the Christian life is stages. It's in stages. Add to your faith base level: goodness, goodness, knowledge, knowledge, self control. So, see how these things are layered. That's like saying to a saying to a kid: go, go and go and Gaga, go bounce. Go crawl, go waddle, go walk, go run. You see how the Christian life is a progression of taking all of life's context and growing in the grace of God. Why, why is our character such an issue? We're like newborn babies. Have you ever held a newborn baby? There's arms all over the place. A newborn baby. There's just arms everywhere and you have to wrap them up real tight because in the first instance as a baby, they're going to hurt themselves. And what is our character leaking? What is us mouthing off? What is anger? What is the frustration? What is the impatience? That's just the spiritual version of an arm going haywire. And only until we develop the spiritual core strength—faith, knowledge, goodness, goodness, self-control—only before we do, and only until we do that, do we then become the sort of people where we naturally look like Jesus. Because Christianity. It's a dynamic where that DNA comes into you and then only through that deliberate process do you begin to have a life that naturally expresses it. Can you see the difference now between going to church and growing in church? Religion says go to church, pray, read your Bible, do all of these things and that's behavior modification. Growing in church says no, I'm a spiritual baby, I've got arms flying all over the place here. I do have these flaws, but I'm progressively learning how to grow. So there's the difference. This is the difference. The difference is it's like this. I think of it this way. A a VW doesn't become a Porsche just by sitting in the garage. (laughs) And in exactly the same way, a, a Christian doesn't begin to look like Jesus just by sitting in church, just by going to church. So how do we grow? What are the three different steps that you could take regardless of which stage of the Christian journey that you're in? Here's the first one. You step from autonomy in your life to then come under authority in your life. You step, the first step for anyone, this could be particularly for a non-Christian, to become a Christian is simply to say that I, I step out from my autonomy in life. Burger King's phrase in the US is, have it your way at Burger King. Have it your way. McDonald's does it this way. Create your own in the foyer. Have you seen that these days? That, that panders to our autonomy in our society. We, we want to have it our way. To become a Christian is to say, no, I step under the authority of Jesus Christ. Now, you need an authority in your life. Because last time I checked, transformation never happens without some authority in your life. Why do we spend hundreds of dollars on these people we call personal trainers? Why do we send our kids to the best teachers? Why do we want the best professors? Because there's no transformation unless you come underneath an authority. And what is that for the Christian? It's in verse 4. It says, Through these he's given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. What is that authority? It's the word of God. We come under that, the Word of God, the Bible. Now, this, we know this cuts against the prevailing way that our world thinks. Even Christians think, because I see a lot of Christians that go, well, I heard that there are contradictions in this thing, and how do I know which is right and which is wrong? And, and I, I, I like this bit, I like that bit, but I don't like that bit. <laughs> now, Robert Beller wrote a book called Habits of the Heart, He studied a whole bunch of American Christians and he found that 81% of American Christians felt that the way that they would come to their own spiritual beliefs was not through the church or through the word of God, but through their own devices. So in other words, it was up to them. 81%. Now, how does that sit with you? How do you feel about that? I mean... Look, ad- admit it, that some of us some of us are not all in the 19% that goes, that's horrendous. <laughs> let, let me ask you uh, the other way that it can work is that, look, if, if we went in and, and said, hey, would you agree with the statement that no person should decide on their medical treatment apart from doctors and hospitals and medical professionals, what would we say to that? In fact, there was a Canadian couple that are just about to get prosecuted because they refused their kids' medical treatment. Anyone read that in the papers this week? And so, on one hand, it would make no sense to disregard all of the hundreds of years and the body of knowledge and the wisdom of the medical profession, and yet we see here that 81% of Christians think that we can just disregard the history and the research and the body of wisdom that is the church and ultimately the Word of God. You need an authority. Let me go one step further. Look, the the main problem is if if you're trying to decide what is right for yourself, what is right and wrong for yourself, your feelings contradict. I say it all the time. I love ice cream, but I also want to be fit. (laughs) I want to eat lots and lots of ice. I want to be fit. You want love, and yet you want to be independent. Teenagers want to they want freedom, but they don't quite yet want responsibility. Your feelings contradict, which means we need an authority. We need a standard above us that helps us grow. There will be no growth until we do that. And that's why we constantly say, when we come to this, his promises, will you seek to stand under the Bible or just understand the Bible? Now, the Bible has no pat answers. The Bible has no easy answers. They're supposed to be worked out in community. And often the answers that you don't agree with, I find more often than not in my life, they're the areas that I actually need to grow. (laughs) You need an authority in your life. Here's the other step that you take. The step from individuality to accountability. So not only from autonomy to authority, but from individuality to accountability. If you want to grow, you need an icebreaker. And I'm not talking about those things that you do when you go on a training course in the corporate world. You need an icebreaker. You know, there's a great uh, story or line that Jesus says in his Sermon on, on the Mount. I'm sure you would know it. We know the sermon so well. And he says, uh, if, you, if you know that there is something between you and your brother or sister, if you, if you are going to the altar, if you are going to church and you recognize that, that your brother or sister has something against you, go be reconciled with them and then come back and leave your gift at the altar. Remember that? passage now the thing that hit me when I was reading that this week is it says if they've got something against you so in other words it's I always read that as if you've got a gripe with someone make sure that you're right with everyone before you go take communion and do church it's the other way around it says if you realize that someone's got a gripe with you in other words even when it's their fault (laughs) you go and work it out why is that because in the church You're responsible for their growth and they're responsible for your growth. And it says that is far more important than coming in and singing the songs. You need to go work that stuff out. In Hebrews 3, it says, Exhort one another daily, lest you are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's a very interesting phrase, unless you're hardened. I, I say it like this, sin is like freezing air and your heart is like a bucket of water. Anyone ever been camping in winter or out in Orange or Bathurst in the middle of winter? Leave the bucket out there long enough and it's going to harden, and you're going to need to go find somewhere else to get a drink of water in the morning. The Bible is saying your heart is always getting hard. It's always getting hard, either through pride or sadness. If life is going well, your heart gets hard through pride. If life goes bad, your heart can get hard through sadness. And so, what it's saying here is that you need an icebreaker. In other words, unless you are accountable to someone and come, someone comes in and knows you enough to be constantly breaking that top layer of ice, then you can't grow. And so my question for you simply is, who, who has the power to blow on your life? Who, who has the power to look in and to call you out? Who, it only has to be one or two in this place, but who has the power to come in and call you out, to call you out on how you use your money and your thought life and your prayer life Now, if you say no one, Jesus is saying, I insist that you do this. You've got to move from individuality to accountability. You're responsible for them and they for you. Spurgeon said, the stone is rolled smooth in the river of truth. That's how we grow. We knock the hard bits off each other through accountability. Here's the last one. You step from just arriving at church to abiding in God. I think this is is the trickiest to understand. This is the hardest to understand. This is the most painful to understand. Because there are some of you this morning that you've got loved ones in hospital. Some of you are in difficult work situations this morning. Some of you have got health concerns. And you know what? Some of you turned up to church today to go, you know what, the last thing I need is a sermon on how we're going to go to grow and be look more like Jesus. Sam, don't you understand what I've got going on in my life? And what do you say to that person when there's there doesn't seem to be a light at the end of the tunnel? That I know in my head that these things and these promises of God are true, and, and yet I don't feel like doing any of that at the moment. That's when you need to grow through abiding we've talked about this in passive discipline friend if there is anything that there is a great encouragement for you this morning that there is work in the waiting to abide in God means when the chips are down when the darkness of life is beginning to sink upon you when you don't feel that there is any way out to abide in God is to say for heaven's sake don't drop the ball It's to take these promises and even though it may not bring you any real comfort this week in the practical ways, you stick to it and you abide in that. That You take it into the lunchroom when people are talking about the uncertainty they're facing with redundancies and while everyone else is getting anxious about it, you preach Matthew 6 to yourself in the head over and over and over again. Look at the birds, look at the bees, look at the sparrows. Does not not your heavenly Father look after them? Or how much more will he look after you, O you of little faith? That's abiding. It means in those moments to just not drop the ball and to trust that there is work in the waiting. Anyone who's a mature Christian knows that life is seasonal. There's spring times, there's summer times, but even in winter there can be the growth even though you don't see much truth. You need to step from arriving to abiding. And so as we finish up this morning, I love that story. From Luke uh, chapter 2, Mary and Joseph have begun to wander all the way back up to Nazareth. They've been walking all the way up, parallel to the Jordan River. They're probably almost home because it's a three-day journey and they have that aha moment. Probably that sickening one as a parent when they look around in the crowd of people and they said, Anyone seen Jesus? And anyone, did you talk to, anyone seen Jesus? You know, they didn't, unfortunately, they didn't have one of those little monkey fluffy strap things that you harness your kid into and you attach it to your wrist when they walk back up to the Nazareth. If they had have invented them. it would have been okay. So they trek all the way back down to Jerusalem. They're running through the streets looking for him. Jesus, Jesus, where are you? Uh, Jesus, where are you? Oh, he's probably been kidnapped. Someone's got him. What's happening? They go up to the temple and there he is sitting with all the rabbis in the middle of the temple. And like a classic young kid, they're beside themselves. Where have you been? You've got no idea what you've done to me. Why have you done this? You grab him by the wrist, and he calmly looks at them and says, "Did you not know I had to be in my father's house, going about his business?" Now, what was Jesus doing for three days? I think he was he was coming under authority. He's learning to come out from autonomy to authority, to understand the primacy of the scriptures that he was reading. He was learning individual, individuality to accountability. You know, Rabbi, it doesn't, it doesn't feel, that doesn't feel right. Why? Why? Most of all, he was abiding. He was sitting with God in that moment. And you know what happened in that moment? Jesus was not just going to his version of church. He was growing in church. He's reading through the scriptures. What it it says that it says that the Messiah will come from the stump of Jesse. I heard that Na, Nazareth means stump or or root town. Na, Nazareth do, do you think that could be it? What do, what does it mean that he will be crushed for their iniquities and there was nothing good to look upon upon him? What what does it mean that he he would be born of the Virgin and of the Holy Spirit. And I remember mum telling me a funny thing about how I all came to be when we had the birds and the bees talk. My, my story was not like everyone else. It's, and, and suddenly it says in 2.51, after, after he walks away from that, Jesus, what? He grew in favour and in stature with God and men. Right? He was the ultimate Willow Smith. Wasn't he? he had the ultimate resources. He had the ultimate pedigree. And yet he still had to grow. And all I can say to us simply, if the big why behind all of this this morning, if it's good enough for Jesus, could it be good enough for us? <laughs> that is the expectation of how this dynamic that we call the Christian faith is. Look, you, I'm just going to ask you this morning, are you going to church or are you growing in church? If in one year's time, Will you look just the slightest, little bit more like Jesus? I can tell you the way that it won't happen. It won't happen if you just turn up. Any more than a VW will look like a Porsche if it sits in the garage. But the way it will happen if you take all of the resources that he's given to you and you actively move that into the steps of authority, of accountability, and abiding in God. Let's pray. Father... We thank you for the way that we see this in so many people's lives in this place, Father. People who go through trials and challenges and yet there is a peace and there is a steadiness and there is a glory. Father, we thank you for the great news this morning, for those moments, those flailing arm moments when we recognise that we are less than perfect Even for those this morning, it could have been on the way in on the car this morning. It could have been when they woke up this morning. It could have been across the breakfast table. They're all too painfully aware of the way that our character leaks. We thank you for the great promise that you will take that, Lord Jesus, and that you will slowly transform that from the inside out into the likeness of your life and not ours. So, Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for us as a people that that we would be a church that is alive and relevant and dynamic and and growing all the time and exhibiting the lives that we know the watching world so desperately wants to see. So corporately, will you empower us, Father, and resource us? But individually, will you impress on each and every one of us this morning our responsibility in growing to look a little more like you? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.